How's everybody doing? Y'all doing good? Amen. Are y'all glad that we're having in-person services this weekend? I am so glad. Amen. And especially for the 244th birthday of our nation, uh, the USA is far from perfect, but anyone who spent any time traveling abroad will tell you that for all of our imperfections, we're far better and than any other nation, literally, that I know of. And that's to live in, reside in. I mean, I, I've been in 103 nations, so I feel like I'm qualified to make that statement. And uh, uh, I am very glad that we in this nation have a degree of freedom that most people do not have. And as good as America is compared to other nations, to make it another four years, much less another 244 years, we need to pray that this nation will live by the principles of Almighty God. Amen. And one of the foundational tenets of Scripture is that man cannot save himself. People need the Lord. Y'all remember that old song? People need the Lord. They really, really do. And we forget that that is true of nations as well, because guess what nations are? Nations are not just geography and land, and ponds and rivers and lakes. Nations are the people who live in that geography. And so we have to pray that God would help us because the governments leading those nations are actually people. They're not some vague in concept of an institution that, that is somewhere in another city like Washington, D.C. Those are people who lead this country. And whenever nations forget about God, and when people forget about God, and forget their need of God, the same thing happens at a national level that happens when you as an individual forget about God. Your life doesn't go very well without God in it. And I want to tell you, nations don't do so hard either without God. And so I'm really praying for our country. On Friday, I spoke with Mrs. Janice Weaver, a wonderful lady. She is the mayor's li liaison, or the liaison with the mayor's office to the faith community, and just an incredible lady. She was here the night of our dedication. The mayor was here that morning. And um, I have great admiration for our mayor. I don't always agree with everything he does, but I, I think that he's trying to do what's right, and he's getting pulled on from all sides. And Mrs. Janice Weaver is just, she's a wonderful Christian lady, just so impressed by her. And I called her because the mayor had made the announcement the day before that churches should go to just online streaming, and so many of our folk were calling, and you were some of them, and, and people were having needs, and I know somebody drove all the way in from Los Angeles, California to be in service with us before this day is over, and they have needs in their lives, and they went to the old building not knowing we had moved, and even went to my old house and looking to find out what's going on and found out we were here, and I hope that they know that we're having in-person services. I had first decided that we would not, but I called the mayor's office, and spoke with Mrs. Weaver, asked to speak with her, and 
and um, just as I said, such a delightful and godly lady. And uh, she said, Reverend, after I told her everything we were doing, she said, Dr. Hurd, she said, we're not trying to stop y'all from having services. In fact, I'll just say this as an aside. She didn't say it, but we found out Second Baptist and First Baptist and just a whole number of churches are having services in person. And, but we didn't want to be in rebellion and look like we didn't care. And I told her what we're asking folk to do. We're asking everybody to wear masks and and we even have them if you don't have one. I'm not saying that to make anybody feel uncomfortable that doesn't. If you socially distance the right way, then we, we understand. Some people can't even wear them because of physical conditions. But just remember the others around you. And when I explained to her everything she was doing, that we were doing rather, she said, Reverend, she said, we're not trying to stop you from having services. You go ahead. She said, it's those who don't want to comply that just seem to think that there's nothing going on and put everybody at risk. I was so pleased that I called her. I couldn't hardly wait to write the text announcement and, and write an email to send it out. And so if, if you're here today, you, you probably got that announcement or that text message. And I'm so glad that you're here and please, when we dismiss, let's not forget, we're going to dismiss one row at a time because I, I want to keep my word to her. And I'm doing everything I possibly can to make certain that um, I don't put anybody else at risk. We've had members of my family that have had the virus. And amazingly, they were fine the next day. It beats anything. I, and they, were, they tested positive. Doctors told them they had the virus. And so I know it's out there, and I know that it's very dangerous for older people, and uh, like me. <laughs> Amen. And so I'm trying to really be careful, and y'all watch out for me. I'm going to say this like a good southerner. Y'all here? Amen. Y'all watch out for me. Y'all here? Amen. So good to see you in the Lord's house this morning. And I've got a word from God for you. Lord, do I ever have a word from God for you. Amen. I'm reading in Acts chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. And then I'm going to immediately begin to read in Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And the reason that I'm going to just go right on reading like from one chapter to the next without even hardly making a distinction as where one chapter ends and another begins is the Bible was not given to us in the form of chapters. That was something that was added years, many hundreds of years later. In fact, it has only been relatively in recent times that a monk in Italy divided the Bible into chapters and verses for the purpose of making research and finding particular things in the Word of God easier. So I want you to know that this hasn't always been there. So let me begin in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went into the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued, watch this, with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all, uh-oh, here it is again, with one accord 
in one place. Amen. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm starting a new series today, and I want to preach this morning from this topic, the power in being one. The power in being one. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this nation. We thank you for allowing us the privilege of being born here. I could have been birthed in Bangladesh. I could have been born in some impoverished country. I could have been born in a slum. I could be struggling right now to take care of children and grandchildren. But you have blessed me to allow me to be birthed in this nation and to whom much is given, much is required. And Lord, I pray that this great nation will fulfill its mandate and on this birthday weekend for this nation, I pray that you would cause us to heed the cry of God and serve you and put the principles of your word foremost before us as frontlets between our eyes you said that we can always see them and that we can acknowledge that you are our source you're not a resource god you're our source we have many resources but you're the divine source from which our help comes we never want to lose that but rather we want to acknowledge our dependency upon you this day and pray that you will bring revival and awakening to this nation in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. All of my ministry, all of my adult life, therefore, I have been a student of those things that produce and bring revival. I've studied revival. I've gone to where revival occurred, different places in the Northeast, in Germany, I went to where the Moravians meet. I went to uh, the door of the castle where Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses in Wittenberg, Germany, started the Reformation. I have been to places where there has been revival. I want to speak on one of the most important causes of restoration and revival today, and that is oneness. After the resurrection of Jesus, the early church was born as a result of having achieved a degree of oneness and unity that had not been present among the disciples of the Lord previously. We know that because five times just before he died in his high priestly prayer, the last prayer that he prayed before going to the cross, he prayed that his disciples would become one. That prayer would have been unnecessary had they been walking in a state of oneness. But it also tells us, since this is his last prayer before going to the cross, the importance of oneness among believers. Incredible things happen as a result of oneness. Last Sunday, we played 
the unbelievable story of Will Ford and Matt Lockett. And they shared with us how they had come to meet and the things that God had done as a result of prayers that had been offered on Will Ford's side by his slave ancestors on Matt Lockett's side by even though he was actually from a family of slave owners that had owned the family of Will Ford, there were in his family abolitionists who were circuit-riding Methodist preachers who stood against slavery. And their prayers together on both sides had moved God. And you heard the incredible results of that. Matt Ford, or Will Ford shared with us that, that unity creates what is called the power of synergy. And he said it like this. He said, you would think, and I've used this illustration before, that two horses harnessed together could pull double what one horse could pull. They don't. Tractors are the same way. Whenever you hook them up, they can actually pull three times what you would expect them to be able to pull. And that is because there's synergy that is involved. If one horse can pull a certain amount, two don't pull double that amount. They pull triple that amount. Unity causes things that are weak to become strong. For example, most of us realize that copper is a very weak metal. It is easily twisted and bent. It's often used in electrical wiring. You probably have even broken some of these electrical wires just just trying to break off a piece and didn't have wire cutters. I've done that many times. Tin is an even weaker metal than copper, but when you melt the two of them together and fuse them together, they form bronze, which is actually very strong and very durable. Another example of what happens in unity is when you take the two separate gases, hydrogen gas and oxygen, and combine them, something occurs that is quite remarkable. Hydrogen is, hydrogen is very dangerous and highly explosive. Oxygen is also highly flammable and very, very dangerous. But once again, put them together, they form what is called water. And that's something you and I can't live without. And in fact, they can put out a hydrogen or an oxygen fire just because it combined with with another element that was equally unstable and dangerous they were able to create a new as it were product or a new uh, item that that was very very different in the uniqueness of its properties when God's people as diverse as we are become one it causes an exponential release of the power of God to occur Amen. That is especially true when we come together for corporate prayer and for worship. And we read in the Word of God, Matthew 18, 19, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. There is synergy in prayer. For where two or three, what's this, are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. You can have a lot of people in one place and they not be together, but where two or three come together, something happens. That's why you're here this morning. 
Watching online streaming is wonderful and all of that, but there are people who have needs and they need to be in an impacting worship environment. And you take, for example, people that are struggling with addictions and, and they are uh, going to programs and they need to be in an empowering environment to overcome what they're struggling with regardless of what that addiction might be. Sometimes you need more than can be found just sitting in the living room of your home and that's why we're offering these services. The Greek word used in the New Testament for unity literally means oneness. The word unity, look it up, is oneness. Unity or oneness of vision and direction is one of the most powerful of all of the principles of success that you will ever be able to build your career, your ministry, your business, your marriage, or your family upon. If there is not unity and instead the opposite of unity occurs, which is division, marriages don't last long, businesses don't last long either ministries certainly cannot last very long churches can be divided we don't have that here but i've seen it happen i've i've been called to help so many pastors that were struggling with issues of division in their churches and when we think of what jesus did on earth we see in his ministry a very very powerful revelation concerning oneness and we always think that Jesus did what he did as God in flesh, don't we? To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. We think that he walked on water because he was, oh, after all, he's God. He can do what he wants to do. He can temporarily, as it were, suspend the laws of physics to accomplish his divine will. But that really isn't true. It makes for good preaching, but when you study the scripture, you'll find that when Jesus came to earth, he laid aside the power of his divinity and instead took upon himself the weakness of humanity. Philippians 2, 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming, what? In the likeness of men. Jesus did what he did, not as God disguised and hidden in flesh, but he did what he did as a man yielded to God to show us the power of a new creation. For example, when he healed the man at the pool of Bethesda in chapter 5 of John verse 18, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath and healed the man on the Sabbath, but he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now you got to watch this. Then Jesus answering said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing. What? nothing of himself why he laid all of that aside but what he sees the father do for whatever he does the son also does in like manner jesus gave us the secret of his power he saw what the father did and then he went and did it and it's like this if 
For example, you have a flat tire and somebody's got an hydraulic lift on the other side of your car that we can't see. And they start raising your car and you walk over and with one finger you put it under the bumper and lift it while the hydraulic lift is jacking that car up in the air. Everybody says, my God, I didn't know you were that strong. You weren't. You just saw what the jack was doing and went and cooperated with it. And that's what Jesus did. He saw what the Father was doing and went and did it. And they sought to kill him for that. They said he was the Son of God. And he, listen to this, being in oneness with God elevated Jesus' limited human potential to the level of God's supernatural ability and power. If you ever learn that one truth, get that one revelation, it will change your life. He laid aside his divinity, took on himself weakness, but everything he did, when he walked with God and yielded himself to God, his oneness with God elevated his limited human potential, self-limited, that's true, but limited nonetheless. It elevated his limited human potential to the level of God's supernatural ability and power. And it will in your life as well. When you yield yourself as an instrument of God in oneness and do what the Father's doing, you step into a realm of the supernatural that you cannot access any other way. Here's what's important to know about oneness. The power of unity doesn't discriminate between causes. Did you know that? The strength created in unity is so powerful that it can be used for the achievement of purposes that are either good or evil. This is why God has always been insistent that we be concerned with who we partner with. Because when you get in oneness with somebody, if you're not in oneness with someone that is working for the right purposes and for the right vision, that what happens is unity, oneness can help you achieve things you don't really want to see occur. God warned Israel not to make alliances with the idol-worshiping nations that existed in the promised land. He said, lest they turn your hearts after other gods. Don't you, don't you get into oneness with everybody, God said, because... The, the product of that will be wrong. The synergy created will, will be devastating. Jehoshaphat, the godly king of Judah, experienced an incredible deliverance in the face of, of insurmountable odds when God said to him that day, when the enemy stretched from that horizon all of the way across to that horizon, God said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In Second Chronicles 20 and 17, and God worked a deliverance that day where not an arrow was fired by Jehoshaphat or his army. They praised while the enemy killed one another. And God sent a spirit of confusion in their camp. When you worship in the middle of your problem, you don't know what that's doing to the enemy. We often complain when we're in the middle of trouble. But try this. Instead of complaining, give God some praise right in the middle of your difficulty and watch what God will do. Amen. But this same Jehoshaphat nearly lost his life because he joined with wicked King Ahab of Israel to fight against Syria. And Ahab tricked Jehoshaphat into putting on his royal robes. He said, you go ahead. 
You put on your royal robes, you go out there and fight. But he said, I'm going to put on, you know, I, gee, I'm so sorry, King Jehoshaphat. I forgot my armor and, and uh, my robes, and I'm going to have to borrow some from these ordinary common foot soldiers. And you go ahead and you get all dressed up in your regalia and your expensive robes and, and wear your crown. But I'm going to have to go out here today with just common armor on. And what happened was Jehoshaphat listened to him and was tricked by him and went out there in his chariot with his, his crown on his head and his royal robes. And Ahab disguised himself in the armor of a common soldier. The enemy's general, the general of Syria had said, don't you fight with anybody except the guy wearing the crown. And sure enough, when Jehoshaphat gets out there, he's been tricked by King Ahab, and the whole army tries to kill him. And Jehoshaphat has to cry out to God, and God delivers him that day. Ahab was killed anyway. But the point is this, that you need to be careful who you get in alliance with. Because when he got in alliance with a wicked king, it almost cost him his life. I'm afraid that's what we do sometimes. We do what Jehoshaphat did. We make bad decisions and, and we ally with the wrong people and we partner and we make decisions and get in relationships with folk that, that we shouldn't be partnered with and we embrace the wrong vision and we even go for the wrong objectives and, and it gets us into trouble and we act out of emotion rather than our logic and our decision to enter the wrong partnerships causes us to end up doing things that we have to pray to God to deliver us from we get in circumstances where if God doesn't help us the enemy's coming after us we've opened the door for him to come in and attack us and that is because oneness does not discriminate between causes you get in oneness with the wrong vision and it will cost you oneness is such a powerful force that it can work whether the cause is good or evil Unity has created and still causes to this day incredible things to happen. I want to tell you why. That's because oneness models the working environment of heaven. That's a concept you need to remember as long as you live. Oneness models the working environment of heaven. We see this in Ezekiel's vision beside the river Chebor in Babylon. Ezekiel saw a vision of creatures that surrounded the throne that each had four faces that moved in absolute synchronicity with the Spirit of God. They were in total oneness with God's Spirit. That's the working environment of heaven. Everything in heaven is in perfect harmony with God. Can somebody say amen? That's why there's no sickness there. There's no pain there. there. There's no disease. There's no COVID-19 there. There's no war there. There's no separation there. There are no wailing sirens in the middle of the night. Everything is in oneness with God. Satan knows that because he once led heaven in worship. But by introducing division and breaking the unity of heaven, God was forced to cast him out with one-third of his angels and therefore, as it were, restore the working environment of that celestial place. In our text, now back to our text, from the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2, we read that unity produced 
the working of heaven so entirely, the working environment of heaven, I should say, so completely that much like heaven, the Holy Spirit could feel comfortable. Are you listening to me? Coming and being in that upper room. You got to get this. The Holy Spirit that thrives in heaven, an atmosphere of oneness, looked down and saw replicated an a degree of unity that had not yet existed and said, you know, I think I can do just as good in that upper room as I'm doing up here. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. What produced that move of God is they replicated the working environment of heaven. If you want God to work in your life, you need to get in oneness with what God is doing. Because it will cause the Holy Spirit to show up. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Lord, I feel my heart on fire. Amen. The environment became so much like heaven that the Holy Spirit descended from heaven and came to earth and took up its abode in humanity. That's why Satan works so hard to disrupt oneness. He knows what God can do when people become one. He gets us to focus on division rather than how much we're alike. For example, all that focus right now on, on race, and there's only one race, and for years there, there have been problems with this, even in the church, and, and it's time right now to fix it. But let me tell you this. Did you know there's not much difference between me and you? I don't care what your ethnicity is. Did you know that in five generations a man can go from being white to an African-American? Or from African-American to be, being white? I'm serious. I'm not making that up. If someone marries someone of a different ethnicity, and then their children marry someone of that different ethnicity, in five generations you go from being one ethnicity to the ethnicity of the person you marry. Five. Do the math. Because you get 50%. Your child gets 50% of your DNA and 50% of your companion's DNA. But the next generation, they've got 75% of your companion's DNA and 25 of yours. And the next generation, 12.5%. And the next, 6 And the fifth generation, they've got 3%. You see, there's no difference in any of us. The differences are so superficial and small. But the enemy wants people to focus on the differences because he knows what will happen when there's oneness that is created among believers. You see, what works in heaven can be used by the enemy on earth to accomplish his evil purposes. Oh God, I feel this working this morning. Amen. If unity can be used for good, Satan has observed and learned that it can be used for evil as well, because unity doesn't discriminate between causes. Unity being used for purposes that were evil was the problem God had with Nineveh. 
In Genesis chapter 11, the plains of Shinar, when Nimrod attempted to build a tower that would reach heaven, Genesis 11:6, and the Lord said, indeed, the people are one, and they have one language, and, and this is what they will begin to do now. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. My God, did you hear that? God looked down and said, they have become one, and nothing will be able to stop their progress. Because they had tapped into the kingdom principle. The power of oneness. Nimrod, his name literally means the rebel. He rebelled against God and said, God, we'll call you if we need you, but don't sit by the phone because we don't expect to be calling you anytime soon. We're going to build our own tower to get out of here. And if you do send another flood, we're building it tall enough that we can escape. And they actually had at the top of that tower, because it was a temple, an altar where they could influence the spirits of the heavenly realm. So we don't need you, God. (laughs) We can fix this by ourselves. And God looked down and said, my, 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 my. They tapped into a kingdom principle. And if I don't get down there and do something, these folk are going, they're going to completely ignore me. The earth is going to be without me and without my direction. And he had already said in Genesis 8 that he would not destroy the world by a flood again. And he said, I'm going to have to do something really catastrophic and I don't want to. And so his mercy and his love intervened for mankind and caused him to find another way to address the serious problem of their rebellion and decision to bypass and go around God. And that solution was to confound their ability to communicate. Because when you can't communicate and you talk past each other, there is no oneness anymore. When the husband has the remote in his hand and the wife, her conversation is going right over his head. No oneness. And when the husband's trying to talk to the wife and she's not listening, talk to the hand. There is no oneness. Homes become divided. When business partners do that, businesses fail. When nations do that, they fail. People wonder why God took the life of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5. When they lied about their tithing and their offering. It was because there was such incredible unity birthed in that upper room. That existed for the first four chapters into the fifth chapter. Of the book of Acts. That if God had not removed Ananias and Sapphira. They would have broken the unity of the early church. Shattered its oneness. And caused his divine purposes to grind to a halt. You say, well, why doesn't God do that anymore? It's because there's so much division, he'd have to pretty much just wipe his church out. That's why. God wants us to get back into a state of oneness. Amen. Oneness creates an environment for incredible victory and success to occur. That's true in your business, it's true in your marriage, it's it's true in your personal objectives for your life, it's true in athletics, It's, it's a principle that works in everything you do. 
And the reason is, is because God thinks differently than we do. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, it's like, as I've often said, looking out the window of a triple seven at 38,000 feet or driving in your car and looking out the window of your automobile world looks a lot different from up there than it does down here amen oh i'm preaching right now and this is how god thinks differently than we do in god's mind (laughs) it doesn't matter who the enemy is (laughs) what matters is who is on his side (laughs) god's not concerned about your enemy Red Sea doesn't sweat it. Fiery furnace lines den, no problem. Goliath, not even worried about it. COVID 19, I'm not concerned about it. I just want to know who is on my side because if you get in oneness with me, I can fix the situation. Lord, y'all going to have to forgive me. I, I feel like, oh, I feel like I'm burning up here right now. God's not worried about your enemy. You're worried about your enemy. God isn't. That's because you're looking at the car, out the car window. But from the 38,000 foot view, God said, not worried. Just anybody down there on my side who is on the Lord's side. If you will join with me in oneness, I'll fix it. Oh, that's a word for somebody. Somebody just touched God just then. Somebody just had a breakthrough. You don't even know it yet. I got, I got to tell you prophetically, I feel it. God just rattled some dry bones and they're coming back together for somebody in this house. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. What does the biblical model of unity look like? And I'm just about to close. Some people believe that unity has to come from sameness. You know, cookie cutters. Everybody be exactly the same. That isn't the biblical definition of oneness. Psalms 133, 1 through 3 gives us a biblical definition. It says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity or oneness, remember. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing life evermore. These verses show something wonderful. First of all, the oil, the anointing oil was made up of five different ingredients. Remember that. I'll get back to it. Okay? But look at, like the dew on the grass. You know what causes dew on the grass? Anybody? You remember your lesson from from school, science class? It's when it gets cooler at night. The water vapor that's in the air condenses on things that was evaporated during the day. It condenses on the grass, and then when the sun comes up, it's glittering, bejeweled with dew. <laughs> it's contrast. It's differences that cause the dew to form. But back to the anointing oil. 
Each one of those ingredients had a different unique property. They were held in suspension. Did you know a suspension is different than a solution? <laughs> Another science class. Anybody remember? Was it the calamine lotion that used to sit on the grocery store shelves in the pharmacy section that, and it would, it would separate into the one that was clear and one that was yellow and one that was white? You remember that? I used to like to go by and just shake one up and put it back up there. And the whole thing would be white. And you'd go back next week and it was separated again. A solution is when different substances have dissolved to form a new substance. Either in the form of a gas, a liquid, or a solid. However, a suspension is different. It's when the particles of different substances are mixed together in a liquid or a solid but remain undissolved. And retain their original various properties. Now you need to see this. The anointing was not a solution. The anointing oil was a suspension. They ground up the ingredients small and put them into the olive oil. And that sweet perfume, oh my, that was poured on the priest and people who needed to be anointed. If you let it sit, the ingredients would settle to the bottom. Just like the calamine lotion in the store. And when that happens, you got to shake it up again. And that's what happens to the church. We keep separating into different components. The prophets get over here by themselves. The Pentecostals get over there by themselves. The Methodists over here. The Baptists over here. Oh, I am. Lord have mercy. Am I preaching right now or what? My God. Actually, y'all don't have to say a word. That's okay. I'll just say it myself. Preach, pastor. Amen. 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 Those that believe in divine healing, get over here. And those that don't believe in miracles, get over there. And you know what we do? We stratify. We separate. Essential doctrines are vital, but we often separate along the lines of doctrinal differences that are so small. That they should not separate us. And God's got to come along and shake us. Hello. COVID-19. Economy. We separate along the lines of ethnicity too, don't we? White folk worship by themselves and brown folk worship by themselves and black folk worship by themselves and God's got to come along and shake us up all over again and create another level of unity. Hello. Jeremiah 48. God talked about it that Moab has settled on his knees. Meaning that the dregs have settled down to the bottom. The leaves. Therefore his taste remained in him. God said the day is coming that I'll send him wine workers who will tip him over. And empty his vessels and break the bottles. Every few years God's got to come along. And you getting tired of getting shaken up? Maybe it's because there's something you're allowing to stratify in your life. 
Maybe there's some division that needs to be corrected. And one reason the church has been so ineffective is in our world. You see, when you shake that suspension up, it becomes more like a solution. And one reason we've been so ineffective is we stopped being the solution and started being content to merely be a suspension. Look at somebody and say, you're the solution. Would you do that? You're the salt of the earth. I'm closing to possess unity. We must accept and value one another's differences. Amen. We're never going to achieve a state of absolute unity on everything in this world. That's why in Ephesians 4 verse 11, he gave some apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till, till, if it weren't for that one word right there, till, we come to the unity of the faith. And the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man. That's why we don't need to stratify. And the prophets get over here. And, and you know those that believe in healing over here. And those that believe in the Pentecostal fire of God. And baptism of the Holy Spirit over here. And the Baptist over here. No. God said no. 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 When you're in unity you take on one another's strengths. And that's why when you mix tin and copper together, it creates bronze. Or you mix oxygen and hydrogen, it creates water. Our prayers become more effective in oneness. Our worship becomes more effective. Doesn't mean that we surrender our individual strengths. And I'm closing with this. I'd finished my devotions one day about a week and a half ago. And I was getting ready to come to the office when the Lord showed me something in the scriptures that literally electrified me. I spend my mornings alone with God. And I was shaving, getting ready to come to church. And my God, all this is resonating in me. And I got so excited when the Lord showed me something, I almost cut myself shaving. Nearly dropped my razor. I'm serious. Andrew and Maddie and their little baby Mila are staying with us to save up money for a house. And I got so excited, I called, Andrew, come here. Because he loves the word, and I had to share this with him. Look at Revelation 7, verse 9 through 10. After these things, I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, to understand those verses, we, we know that John is looking into heaven. We know that. And he sees the saints that have already made it. But that doesn't help you fully understand what that passage is actually saying. You've got to be able to back up and look at God's redemptive plan all the way from Genesis through chapter 1 to Revelation chapter 22. John is given a glimpse into heaven and is allowed to see the purposes of God unfold and then come to fulfillment. There is a day come coming when his kingdom will come the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever 
That's what Revelation 11 says. Hello, somebody. That's where Handel got the words for the Messiah chorus. He shall reign forever. That's where he got it, right out of the Bible. The day is coming. John sees a number that no, no man could number of every, and he specifies this, nation, tribe, people, and tongue. And they're all saying in the same language, though they speak different languages or did on earth, they're now in heaven speaking the one language of heaven, and they're saying, same thing, salvation belongs to our God <laughs> who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's a revelation right there. They spoke different languages on earth, but when they got to heaven, they all spoke one language. <laughs> I love this book. Man. I love this book. There's something very powerful in this verse. As far as I'm able to see, there are only two things that we find that are in heaven that did not exist outside the Garden of Eden. When God created the Garden of Eden, he created it. The world was good. And man, he said, that's very good. Created a little bit of heaven on earth. The Garden of Eden. But after man fell, there were some things that happened outside the Garden. You would think that not a single one of the differences from the way God created things in the garden to the way they came to exist outside the garden you would think not a single one of those things would be allowed to exist that God would change them back <laughs> because after all he came to redeem the world now watch this but there are two things that I know of that will be in heaven that were not in the garden things that happen after the garden one of them is the scores of Jesus Think about it. We know that whenever Lazarus the beggar died at the rich man's gate, he was covered with sores and the dogs were licking those sores and he, he died. And the angels came and carried him from the gates of Davi's estate. That was the name of the rich man. To the pearly gates. But somewhere from the time they picked him up. And the taxi dropped him off at the pearly gates. Those sores were gone. You don't carry that into heaven. You have cancer. You don't carry that into heaven. I, I need an amen. You get a, a limb amputated. You don't carry that into heaven. You don't bring your sugar diabetes there. Got one of our men in the hospital right now that needs a double lung transplant. I want you to help me pray for him. Joe Muniz. You don't carry those diseased lungs there. Like Lazarus at Davi's gate. All of that falls away by the time you get to the pearly gates. <laughs> Amen. But not for Jesus. Because the scripture tells us. They will look on him whom they pierced. And in Zechariah 13 and 6. They will ask him when he returns. What are the wounds? Did you, you get that? Returns. He's been in heaven but he returns. And when he comes back. 
They're going to ask him, what are the wounds that he has in his hands and feet? And he will say, those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. It blew my mind. Jesus keeps his scars. Not Lazarus, not me, not you, but Jesus keeps his scars. Why? Because throughout eternity, any time the devil looks up from hell, where he's going to end up, and says, Lord, I see Richard Hurd sitting up there around the throne. Worship. He doesn't deserve to be there. Because I know what he did. I know what kind of person he was. I, I know his mistakes, his humanity. And he may call your name. All Jesus has got to do is hold up his hands and say, there they are right there. Paid in full throughout eternity. They are a symbol of the victory that he won for us. What's the other thing? I saw a multitude, no man could number of every nation, tribe, kindred, and tongue. Oh, wait a minute. Because it actually doesn't say nations in the Greek. It says ethnicities. Hmm. In the original creation in the garden... There was only Adam and Eve. There were no different ethnicities. Everything came out of Adam and Eve. I wish I could hear somebody say hallelujah. Adam and Eve are the father and mother of all living is what the scripture says. That means you're my brother and I'm your brother. Whether you like me or not, I'm still your brother. And whether you like the lady down on the other side of the building, she's still your sister. Hello, somebody. It doesn't mean I saw Americans and Kenyans and Russians or Mexicans. It means I saw ethnicities. Wait a minute. That happened after... After Adam came out of the garden is when ethnicities began to appear. And we could talk about when. It's probably at the division whenever in Genesis 11. Different groups of people went different directions. Began to intermarry because they, only they could understand each other. Amen. You can't be married to somebody you don't understand. <laughs> I've done enough marriage counseling to know that doesn't work very well. Amen. She might be talking your language, but it. You know what I mean? Might be English or Spanish or Swahili or whatever it is. But John wasn't saying, I see Mexicans and I see Kenyans and I see South Africans and I see Chinese and I see Italians. That wasn't what he was saying. He was saying, I see different ethnicities. Our ethnicities are going to still be present when we get to heaven. You would think that since that happened after Eden, we'd all go back to being one. What was that one like? It wasn't white. It wasn't the colors that we represent. It was probably, it was a combination of everything. You would think that's what we would be like once we get to heaven, but no. God said, I'm going to keep the ethnicities preserved. You know why? Because they too are a symbol of victory. 
just like the wounds in his hands are a symbol to the devil throughout eternity that he conquered sin ethnicities in heaven worshiping together are a symbol throughout eternity that we conquered division somebody ought to give God some praise right now hallelujah would you stand with me across the building division was the original strategy of Satan but John sees the day and the reason he makes this observation my God he said I see it they survived the division and they became one what a powerful apostolic principle 